Why don't we uh, give a Trinity welcome to Louise? Um, I'm already in pieces, so I'm going to take my glasses off and just pretend, not even pretend that I'm going to hold it together. Do you know what? I actually, I, I said before the service, I'm obviously, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about George and George's death at home, and I was actually sat chuckling at the end with the picture, because I thought, oh man, he's going to kill me actually that I've put this in the video. <laughs> <laughs> a silly picture of him with like ice cream on his face, but yeah. Yeah, we've, um, I mean, it's amazing to have you doing this right now, because... I mean, it, some, some folks obviously know Louise really well, and some of you uh, may not, but the story of your story and the story of Trinity Church are really just interlinked. I remember one of the first, when we moved here, one of the first things that happened was that uh, we heard from you while all of um, what was happening with George was going on, and it was, it, for me, it was one of the first sort of pastoral moments, pastoral sort of duties, if you like, that I had, and um, it stretched me quite a lot beyond sort of the stuff that you cover in theological college and, and all of that, but we can get into that. Uh, for, for people who haven't heard and for people, you know, for whom hearing the boys speaking about that is, is new, why don't you tell us a bit um, about what, was, what, what happened, what went on in those, yeah. in those days that we first met? Yeah, so... Um so George was diagnosed with bowel cancer in 2015 and 11 months after his diagnosis um, we found ourselves in the position that no one ever wants to be in which was it had spread to his liver and he was desperately, desperately sick. Now George and I weren't Christians, we'd not been brought up in a, in a home that was a Christian, that were Christian households. And there'd been times in the year when he'd been sick, when we'd actually talked about having a faith and kind of said, oh gosh, if we believed in God, you know, this would, this would make this whole hideous experience that we're living maybe slightly easier. And as things unraveled and George became more and more sick, I remember just feeling so angry but also so disbelieving that this was the way in which a life, a really beautiful life, could end. So just as the boys have explained in the video, I, <laughs> I went out one night, and I won't, I won't share with you either the swear words that I said. <laughs> but I, I was so cross because, you know, our, our world as we knew it just wasn't recognisable anymore. And I was there with these boys who were incredibly young, and I just was so angry. And I got out of my car and I screamed in the night sky, God, if you are beep, 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 real, you have to show me. It is now or never. And then I went home and put the kids to bed and just cracked on, really, and didn't think anything of this outlandish cry. But that was, that was well, I mean, God was probably involved <laughs> all along the way, but that was when he really began to kick into gear, wasn't it? Yeah. So tell us how that happened. What, what was next? So at first, I didn't really realize how God was moving in our, in our life. And I think that's often, you know, now, four and a half years later, what I realized to be true so much of how God speaks and how God moves. 
So it started with a text message from a friend of a friend. And it was this text message that was, um, oh, there's a girl that we've met at a wedding that seems to know on some level that your husband's really ill and she's asked if she can pray for him. Now, at the time, prayer wasn't something that we did. It wasn't something that I knew how to even do, in all honesty. And we were, but we were so desperate and we were so wanting help that we said yes to the prayer because, you know, why, why would you not say yes to that? But then, yeah, as the boys says, some crazy miracles went down. So, and that, that whole thing was amazing because this, this woman who we now know, she was in London. Yeah. They, she met somebody at a wedding and had just a prophetic word or... Yeah, so this, is, this, this woman is a, a really close friend now, and hopefully she might even be watching today in London. Um, but she had this deeply prophetic word that George was sick and had the sort of boldness and bravery to step out and say, you know, let me pray, let me intercede here. Um, and so, I mean, the way, in, the way in which God scripted what happened next was just miraculous because... Carrie and I didn't know each other. We were in two different cities. And she, she started off by just texting me at that moment every time I thought of her. And we'll have all had that in the room when you're thinking of someone and you get a call from the person you're thinking of or they, or they text you, right? And this was happening to me as my husband was dying with a woman I'd never met in London, which was quite remarkable. And there was this sort of strange connectivity that, that was happening around us. And then as George continued to decline you know we were so desperate we were so desperate to find something that could help him and Kerry actually had the boldness to say look I'll get on a train and I'll come from London and I'll come and sit in the hospital room with you guys and I'll, I'll come and pray with you which she did which again at the time you know I just thought oh this is what Christians do you know <laughs> this obviously they're really nice so she comes on a train from London and comes and prays with us at the hospital, which was beautiful. And yeah, I mean, there's just miracle upon miracle. She did. I mean, she 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 brought a little communion set, didn't she? A little bit yeah. of ribena. Yeah, yeah. She brought um, she brought bread and ribena for us to take communion. I mean, I really naively thought she'd just brought her lunchbox with her. Is that her. your first communion? Um. I think it probably was, yeah. I don't even know, Johnny, in all honesty. She put some worship music on and just yeah. began to pray. And yeah. She brought with her some prophetic words, didn't she? Yeah. So the part that was... There were two parts of that first sort of encounter of um, prayer that were really, really special. So the first was that George actually invited her to come and sit alongside his bedside, which he'd not asked anyone to do. And there was definitely a shift in him that... I witnessed and thought, okay, he's, he's all right with this because there, there was a level that I thought, oh my gosh, I've just invited a total stranger to come and sit with my dying husband and this lady genuinely could be a complete nut job. I now know she isn't, but <laughs> at the time, that is what I was thinking. But as we sat in the room, she, she actually sort of stopped praying and looked at me and, and laughed and said, Louise, God knows that you're a really difficult nut to crack so he's had me write you a letter so I remember thinking right okay uh do we get to see this letter this is a bit strange like I didn't know this is kind of how this prayer thing normally goes down 
So she then presented these letters to us, and oh, these letters, um, I share them actually in, in the book that we've written because they were so beautifully what were the characters of, well, what was the character of George and what is the character of me? It was unbelievable, unbelievable. And that, and that was then the start, because that wasn't, that's not the end, that, that was just the start. Just, just to stop there for a second, it just reminds me of, I just alluded to it there, and we read it last week, how Jesus says to Mary, he says, Mary, he uses her name, and it's like, that's what God did to get your attention, he said Louise, yeah. but he did it in a way that sort of said something about who you were. Yeah, and it just continued from there to be remarkable, so, you know, we'd had this moment where Jesus had given us these letters and called us by name, and I went home and thought, okay, I don't really know how to pray, but maybe I need to start trying, and decided to write a letter, because I thought, well, I don't, I don't really know if I can sort of stand up and say the right words and get, and get this whole prayer thing right, so I wrote this letter and actually got a response, so I, I sat into the early hours writing this letter in, in my phone, and as I pressed done on my um, notes, on my Apple notes in my phone, I got a text message from Kerry in London with a flashing light of um, an ambulance emoji card on the phone just saying, I've got a word from God incoming. And I remember thinking, wow, this prayer <laughs> thing really works. Like, you write and you get an answer. So she wrote back, and then, you know, we went into hospital the next day, and, and George was in this perfect state of peace, and I mean, there's part of this story that is, you know, it is such a sad story, but there's so much of God's lightness on it. I mean, I remember the first time I text Johnny, it's probably still hands down one of the most bonkers text messages <laughs> I've ever sent, and when I met Johnny for the first time in the entrance of the hospital, I think I said something to you like, yeah, you know, so we prayed, and then we got the answer, and Johnny just kind of said, what? Hang on, can I see this? And I remember, I said, yeah, yeah, here's my phone. And I remember Johnny sitting in the entrance of the hospital and looking at this conversation and just weeping. And genuinely, I had no idea. I just thought, oh, this is what happens if you pray to God. So, yeah. Well, it, it, there's more than a little bit of Thomas in me, folks. And that... <laughs> I think that's fair to say, and uh, it was just incredible because it was, it wasn't, there was no delay. You know, as a pastor, you're sort of taught to te teach people, hear the, hear the reasons God doesn't answer prayer in the way that we want. I mean, we've, we've just been doing a course actually through Hubs about unanswered prayer. That's a part of the life of faith, and here was somebody who was getting answers as she pressed done on the text, and it kept happening and kept happening, didn't, didn't it? Yeah, and, yeah. It kept happening and happening, and yeah, George's death was beautiful. And I think I've, for people that have been coming to Trinity for a while, I have spoken about it briefly before. I was baptized um, a couple of Easter's ago, and I spoke briefly about it then, but his death was incredible, which is actually not what you'd expect me to say, you know, as the mother of young boys. And Talk about that, because, I mean, one of the things we want to just press into a little bit is this, this well, not an idea. I was going to say this idea of death. It's not an idea. It's a fact. And, um, and, and we'll get to that maybe in a minute. But talk, what, what, what made his death beautiful? So 
the quick answer to that was the presence of the Holy Spirit, which at the time was something that was so new to George and I. So I remember at the time feeling like, gosh, there's this lightness and there's this feeling of peace. But I didn't know that that was what the Holy Spirit was because no one had ever spoken to me about that before. And in the five days before George's death, we had this amazing time, which Johnny actually witnessed as well, where George just laid in his bed. And I always explain it to the boys. It's, I use Star Wars, actually, as an analogy. And I say, you know, when you held his hand, the presence of God was so thick that it was, it was almost like touching the force on him. And George was deeply, deeply peaceful, deeply... Um, kind of accepting of what was ahead of him. And one of the things that he said to me that will always stay with me is he said, I feel like there is a light of, of love inside of me that nothing or no one can take away. And I found out, um, it was about 18 months actually after George's death, that he'd also quoted some scripture to me whilst he'd been on his deathbed, about the perfect, the perfect love scripture. And I hadn't realized because I didn't know the Bible then. Um, so it was just, I mean, and that was God given to him because George didn't know the Bible. He didn't read it every day. So yeah, it was remarkable. Yeah, it was amazing just being in that, in that space and in that room. And I, I, I mean, I, let's, let's push into this a bit more because I'm somebody who, from my earliest days, I think even as a child, just staying awake and being afraid of my parents' death. Uh, my parents are both uh, still, still with us, but I remember just even crying myself to sleep, just thinking as a child, oh, you know, this almost like the, the vastness of this concept of death. And really through, through my teens and into my 20s and my early 30s, it was there, that nagging fear of death. Um, and you know, one of the things that changed that in my life was George's death. And it was as if God knew I needed to, to witness this and to watch it and I suppose, yeah, more than observe it, but play some part in it. But as I think about myself, my own journey, I mean, I grew up in churches and, and it's amazing how little death has been spoken of. And, and as I think about the church and... and this is, this is one of the things, that's how the joke goes, of death and taxes are the two things, right, that, you know, unite us all. But it's, it's amazing how little the church speaks of death. And we've observed, we were observing before, weren't we, how even in this last year, we've all been going through this experience where death has come closer to us and how much it's actually unveiled the fear of death. Do you have any observation on that? Do you have any... What have you observed? What, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, so when George was diagnosed with cancer, I think that the thing that we were the most afraid of was death. And then when the reality of the fact that he was going to die was presented to us, I think there's this element of human heart that you kind of think, oh, but it, it won't be just yet. You know, it's, it's going to be a few months from now. But when you are in the reality, and I, I massively recognize that I might be touching some nerves of people in this room because I know I'm not the first and the last person to have sat through the, you know, these types of experiences, which are deeply, deeply hard and sad and traumatic. 
But when you are sat with someone who you know is dying and you know they're not going to have, you know, the life with you that you anticipated, there does become an element of normal, first of all, that, that happens in terms of, okay, their body's breaking and this is what has to happen. So there's an element of normality, but I think what I witnessed, and actually it's a conversation I had with, with Charlie, my eldest son, in the video last night, what God's been really sort of saying to me and speaking to me about in the last few weeks in particular is, as Christians, we are so privileged that we have this spiritual relationship. And if we can spend our living days knowing how Jesus talks to us, how he moves, how he shows up, when we all find ourselves in the moments of taking our last breaths, you know, if we've made our lifetime about understanding him and knowing him, when we're in that moment where we will feel scared, I imagine, you know, if, you, if we can sit there and know that Jesus is with us, then we're okay, right? You know, and that's what, exactly the conversation I had with Charlie last night. And there's so much fear in the world of death and what that will bring. But actually, my experience has just taught us that maybe it's the greatest invitation into living this life that you could ever have. Yeah. And also the greatest invitation into an even firmer faith in the heavenly realm. Yeah, that's amazing. I, mean, I think the one thing you said earlier, which you've said to me before is, and I experienced when I walked in the room, I mean, I, I remember walking in that room for the first time and being thinking, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I seemed professional, I don't think I probably did, but I remember walking to the hospital, which I'd got lost on the way to already, it wasn't a good start, and um, just thinking, what do I do? What am I going to do? You know, faced with somebody who's dying, what will I do? What will I say? And of course, I just sat there and... And actually, it was amazing because what happened is George put out his hand and offered for me to hold his hand. And I was, I'd asked Will, who was our curate then, Will, what do you do? You know, we sort of pooling our ignorance. And he just said, well, just read Psalm 23. So at one stage I did. And as I was reading Psalm 23, George was stroking my hand. I don't know if you knew he was doing that. And it was as if through George, God was ministering to me in my moment of deepest fear. And facing, yeah, facing what is, I think, mine and many of our deepest fears. Here was God present with me and in this man just stroking my hand gently. And, and the words of that psalm are that he prepares a table for us. That, that, that even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we need fear no evil because he is with us. And it is, as you're saying, the presence of God that transforms the darkest valley and the valley of the shadow of death. And you've, you've been a living testimony to that. I, I'm curious, I, I want to know, uh, the, the thing we'll do next is to talk about how that has then begun to bless others, because we've seen that. But if you were going to, just before that, that's a warning, uh, just before that, how, how, who has Jesus revealed himself to be to you? You know, you, who, you didn't know God, you had a concept of God, I suppose, but who, who have you found him to be? So I think this is a really interesting question because I think often as Christians as well, we, we know Jesus and then we just assume that other people know him too. And the reason I want to kind of start the answer to this question with that is because 
genuinely when I had this incredible encounter, I still didn't really know Jesus. So the encounter that I had was with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And I remember turning up to the kids' church, which was back then at Johnny and Amy's house, and having loads of conversations, because I remember just thinking, so I don't understand, you know, so who is Jesus? Like, where does he fit in all of this? And genuinely, that was how I saw it, because I didn't really, back then, understand the Gospels and that Jesus was the Son of God. And I think it is something that, you know, obviously we're taught as Christians to share the good news, but I think we almost forget sometimes that people don't have that basic understanding that Jesus is the son of God. I I certainly didn't. So for me, you know, the first year of being a Christian was actually all about understanding that Jesus was the son of God and understanding that the same powers that had shown up in the hospital room were the same powers that were, you know, pouring out of the Bible. And, And that was, you know, that was like a real sort of, curve that I had to go up whilst grieving which was incredibly hard but as I've come to know Jesus genuinely he has just proved himself time and time again to be so kind and to just be such an amazing role model in terms of how we should approach any type of situation um yeah I mean there's no words are there to describe Jesus really he's too good Good, absolutely. So let's, but he's been using, it's what, what I said I was going to ask you, let's get into that. You know, we've, we've seen, obviously there's the book, which I love the product placement, the kids, by the way, that's fantastic. And then once they got it, the, and on the rest of the video, they were just sort of... I didn't tell them to do that, okay, they did that yeah, themselves. Yeah. Don't believe that for a minute. Um, that, that's part of how God's been using your story, um, but there are, there are loads of, I mean... Um, at the first service this morning, Tanya was saying songs of praise. In fact, last week, as, as I arrived to church, somebody showed me that you were on the front of the BBC News, but not BBC News, the BBC website, which I found yeah. very funny. Um, yeah. h- how has God begun to use your story and how are you seeing and work through it? So I think I, I knew when George was dying, and I think George knew as well that we had to share the story of what was happening. It's the most purpose-filled I'd ever felt about anything in my life. And I've prayed time and time again potentially quite a dangerous prayer which is use me share you know use our story to 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 share the news of you and your good news so you know I've written I've written the book which was um incredibly hard in parts to do which launched at the start of lockdown last year um and and the thing that's been so interesting has been there's been this kind of like stripping back of all of my ego and all of the things that I was taught. So I used to work in the corporate world in in sales and marketing, which is incredibly driven where you set your targets, you set your objectives, you have your marketing plan, you you know, you, you go for your PR and at the same time you try and be present in store and all those types of things. And genuinely, that is not the way I've approached this book at all. But the responses and the things that have happened are just completely God-given. You know, the way in which I ended up on Songs of Praise is a story in itself. And then off the back of that appearance, the, the interactions that I've had with people has been overwhelming. People who said, you know, I've been a Christian all my life and this reading this book and the way that you prayed has taught me to pray more authentically. Wow. And then there's been other people that have said 
gosh, I always thought that God was real, but I called it something else. And now I've read this book, I'm really interested. Where can I go and find, wow. out, find out more? So they're coming on the virtual alpha. Katie emails me and tells me my friends are coming. I'm like, mm, I don't really know these, some of these people, but this is so great. Yeah, it is amazing. And people in the school, yeah. schools and everywhere you go, you've been able to, to yeah. share this. And I, I love that. I mean, you are somebody who lives with a really clear purpose, but as you're saying, that's something that God's been really giving you mm. in this season. So uh, maybe, maybe as we close, I mean, there's so much more. I mean, if you want to hear more, you can read the book, of course, but um, as my own plug. Um, could you say something in closing just about hope? I mean, from the earliest days of, well, it was 20, it was sort of October 2016, I think, that we met. Yeah. Um, you know, there was, there was this sense that there was a particular grace or something on your life about hope. And I actually remember that really connected at that time because it was very close to that time that Amy and I had the opportunity to walk around this building. It was still derelict with a man called Sir John Peace, who's a wonderful guy, and was the um, Lord Lieutenant, may, may still be, I'm not sure, but the Lord Lieutenant of Nottingham or Nottinghamshire. And I remember he, he's a business, you know, very successful, brilliant business person and a real friend of, of the church. And uh, Amy and I were putting together our best sort of pitch of what Trinity was going to be, you know, just trying to try win favor and influence with this important figure. And, and we just gave him half an hour of our absolute best, which really wasn't very good. Uh, walked him around the building and sort of showed him what we thought could happen. And, and at the end, he said, what's this all about? And I just, again, I just launched into the pit. He said, no, no, let me stop you there. It's about hope. It's about hope. And it was a couple of weeks after that, maybe, that we met. And, and your story and that story, for me, have always sort of come together in my mind. And that's why on the side of the building, uh, we've got hope written. And in fact, um, your marriage to Colin, after the wedding, that's where you took a picture with hope. Uh, just right behind the two of you. I wonder what you'd say to us. You know, we've talked about death. <laughs> we've talked about God's presence in the midst of it. What have you learned and what would you say to us about hope? So I think for me, genuinely hope is something that all of us feel, regardless of if we're Christian or, or not. I think for people who don't carry a faith, hope is often wrapped up in more earthly things like their friends and their family and their homes and their holidays. And that's definitely what we've witnessed in this last 12 months when a lot of that has been taken away from people and people have been sort of left saying, what is left to stand on? And what I find incredibly interesting is that when often those things are taken away, which is incredibly hard even for us as Christians, that's the point in time when you, I suppose, can feel this heavenly hope in a more genuine and authentic way and I mean for me the word hope I I would have called this feeling of optimism and the feeling of peace and that there has to be something that can help us which I now know is the presence of God I used to call that hope so in one of the letters that I wrote to George before he died the words were, don't give up, don't give up, hope is coming. And that is why I called my book, Hope is Coming. But you see, I did not know that that hope was Jesus because Jesus for me then didn't have a name. His name was hope. 
And I think that's the bit that we often, again, you know, forget that for people who don't know Jesus, they don't know that he is hope. They, they see Jesus as someone that they maybe played at school in a nativity play. And that's the bit that I just think that we are so called to tell people about. 